X of The Point Magazine. I am your regular host, Justin E.H. Smith. As listeners of the show will know, each episode I have on a guest, uh, and together we explore a question of the form, what is X? Such as Plato's Dialogues, where various dialogues will explore questions like, what is beauty? What is justice? What is goodness? And so on. Today, I'm going to be exploring a fairly narrow question with my old friend and sometimes adversary, Jason Stanley, professor of philosophy at Yale University, author of many books in the philosophy of language, philosophy of action. Uh, More recently, since 2015, Jason has also, as listeners might well know, been working in overlapping areas of philosophy of language and political philosophy. I thought today uh, Jason and I would explore together a relatively uh, obscure, or let's say not obscure, but narrow relative to our other topics on this show, a relatively narrow question that also unifies a number of Jason's research interests, which is namely, what are slurs? So we're going to try to figure out what slurs are today. And I'm delighted to do this with Jason Stanley, my old friend. Welcome, Jason. Uh, Thank you, Justin. It's great to be, as always, it's great to be in conversation with you. So uh, to start off, a slur is a word or a term that hurts, whether this hurt is something that can count as violence in the full sense is something I hope we can explore today. Its power to hurt is plainly something that is determined by what Austin Uh, would call the total speech situation, the philosopher J.L. Austin. So words that at one point in one context might be completely anodyne, might be completely harmless, in others can be extremely charged. So at the outset, I think you and I can agree that there's no possibility of simply coming up with a a list of all of the slurs, of all of the words that you shouldn't say, and prohibiting them or discouraging them, because it's it's a list that's ever-changing. How does that work? Well, well, let me first uh, object to, like, a number of things you said. Number, (laughs) Number one, you said that slurs hurt, and they're always hurtful. I'm not sure fat cat hurts or Yankee mm. hurts. Those mm. are slurs, uh, but they don't hurt. Uh, th- when we talk about uh, hurt, uh, it's not a linguistic matter. It's the background ideology. Uh, mm-hmm. Frankly, if you're a fat cat, <laughs> you're not too bothered by being called a fat cat. Mm, right. you know, it's a slur for you. <laughs> it's a slur of you. Mm. Uh, for, for historical reasons, given the ideology, the speech practice, 
I'm now I'm going to often speak in terms of the theory that I've developed with in conjunction with my co-author David Beaver in our new book, The Politics of Language, that we've been working on for six years. So we we take each word to be a part part of a speech practice, and each utterance mm-hmm. to be to invoke that speech practice. And mm-hmm. Yankee doesn't hurt because the speech practice is not particularly harmful. Of right. it's, it's, not, it's not a particularly horrific ideology that you're throwing mm-hmm. at Yankees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so, so linguistically, slurs. I think it's hard to say that 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 slurs always hurt. I think it's false. It's mm. also false to say things you shouldn't say are 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 slurs. Uh, mm-hmm. the German language contain you know Lebensraum. Don't mm-hmm. use the term Lebensraum, <laughs> but it mm. is not. Uh, a slur, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. life room. So, uh, so you know, don't say uh, I need. I added an extension to my house because I needed more Lebensraum. That is mm-hmm. definitely not something you want to say. <laughs> but, right, right, right. But uh, so, so taboo is a different topic than mm-hmm. slur. They're mm-hmm. run together by mm-hmm. not just philosophers, but also I think um, John McWhorter in his new book, of course, mm-hmm. runs these together, and it's oh. an attraction to a number mm-hmm. of theories of slurs that they mm-hmm. that they conflate taboo with slur. Um, Interesting. The German language, Germany denazification involved making taboo mm-hmm. a lot of words mm-hmm. that, that were mm-hmm. not slurs. One of my favorite mm-hmm. stories Charles Mills told me when he he talked to Habermas and he said, "Why don't you write about race?" and Habermas mm-hmm. blanched and said, "Because I'm not a Nazi." Uh word race is a taboo term but it's not a slur right right uh that 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 that's important to make that distinction i suppose because there are overlapping issues in philosophy of language though that do and i suppose also linguistics neurolinguistics that do concern both uh, uh slurs and taboos right um uh yeah, I, I think so. I I think so. I mean, might I mean, I've come to the view that that a lot of the structures in philosophy of language and mm-hmm. linguistics sort of almost intentionally designed to mask, obscure, make it impossible to talk about how language actually functions. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Uh, so say more uh, about say more about that. So so I think you know. Uh, so from my perspective perspective of i mean we we have a chapter on slurs in our book among uh, chapter 13 mm-hmm. talks about slurs among other topics uh, and dog whistles uh, so, uh the and where we where we come close to saying there are no slurs now mm-hmm. we're joking there are slurs there are words that terribly hurt mm-hmm. um but the reason that philosophers of language i'm probably jumping ahead but no. the reason that philosophers of language got so fascinated with slurs Mm -hmm. is because they seem to have these mysterious linguistic properties. Mm -hmm. Mysterious linguistic properties were hyper projectivity. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I'm going to explain that. So, uh, so basically anytime you use the word, you commit yourself to anytime you use a slur, you commit yourself to uh, believing the bad thing about the group. Mm -hmm. So if I say, I'll use the slur fat cat, um, you know, as a, as a, if I say uh, he's not a fat cat, I'm nevertheless committing myself 
mm-hmm. to the view that some wealthy people are fat cats, mm-hmm. are bad mm-hmm. and, and behave horribly and uh, are obnoxious in the way wealthy people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I can't negate it. And, and furthermore, my commitment to it can't even be, uh, it can't even be uh, canceled, mm-hmm. as we say, theory of presupposition. Mm-hmm. So, so to cancel a presupposition, here, here I'm going to get a little technical. Um, they're, they're sort of in the theory of uh, in 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 the theory of meaning. You since Frege, uh, you say that words carry presuppositions. I mean, there's some traditions that reject this, but uh, but it has proven to be dominant. Um, so take definite descriptions like uh, like the man, uh, like Alexander's son, the mm-hmm. son of Alexander. Um, so if I say the son of Alexander is a nice guy. I'm presupposing that there is a son, uh, that Alexander has a son. Mm-hmm. But I can cancel that. And if, if I say uh, the son of Alexander isn't a nice guy, I'm still presupposing mm-hmm. that Alexander has a son. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you might say that slurs presuppose mm-hmm. uh, the bad thing. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you can't cancel. You can't mm-hmm. cancel that presupposition. You can cancel normal presuppositions. So if I say, if Alexander has a son, mm-hmm. to take Bertrand Russell's example, if Alexander has a son, then Alexander's son is a nice guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That whole conditional does not presuppose that Alexander has a son. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but you can't do that with with a slur. If I say, um, you know, um, if wealthy people are all nice, then John isn't a fat cat. Mm-hmm, That's just mm-hmm. weird, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, so slurs always carry their, as it were, presuppositions. Mm-hmm. So, so then people said, oh, look, slurs are hyper-projected. Then people also said, look, slurs are expressive. They hurt. Mm-hmm. How can you hurt just with informational content? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Informational mm-hmm. content alone can't hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no matter what proposition, not s- sentence, not containing the N-word, you replace, if you, if you replace the, any sentence containing the N-word, mm-hmm. um, with words that aren't slurs, you're, you're, you're going to get a sentence that doesn't hurt mm-hmm. as much. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, so how do we account for the hurt? So then people said, okay, so there's hyper-projectivity mm-hmm. and then there's hurting, mm-hmm. expressive, there's the expressive aspect. Wow, slurs are like little magical words. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and David and I, David Beaver and I, he's the main theorist of pre- presupposition in the world. He mm-hmm. sort of has laid the basis for the contemporary theory of presupposition. We started realizing, well, look, really, all words are like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All mm-hmm. words carry a history. Mm-hmm. All words carry a, you know, uh, so, so we, we talk about our theory is a, is a speech practice first theory mm-hmm. where like, so if I talk about professor, if mm-hmm. I talk about, if I talk about, um, you know, if I talk about secretary or janitor, mm-hmm. yeah, those aren't yeah. slurs, but mm-hmm. they carry a lot of weight with them or mm-hmm. boss. Mm-hmm. Um, they carry an ideology. Mm-hmm. 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 And so, so, so when we talk about slurs, we're just talking about words that have a, a connection to a particularly hurtful ideology mm-hmm. in the case mm-hmm. of slurs like the N-word. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, they're not really that different from janitor, secretary, boss, mm-hmm. German. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And frequently, the, the 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 neutral term can take on the quality of a, of, of of a slur in certain contexts, right? Yeah, like the neutral name of a nationality, for example. Right. So Jennifer mm-hmm. Foster, uh, graduate mm-hmm. student at USC, has an mm-hmm. excellent uh, 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 paper on this: uh, the ghost of neutral 
something like the ghost of neutral counterparts. I forget the exact title, <laughs> but in it, Foster our Foster points out, she, she's like, I think she's from Kentucky or something. She says, mm. I guarantee you Jew and Mexican carry mm-hmm. with them bad right. ideologies. Right, 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 yeah. Them in Kentucky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, and then there's, there's uh, they, they carry with them uh, the same ideologies. So, uh, so, uh, so I think, <clears throat> uh, I, th- I think that, that um, there's, there's what we have to, and, you know, Haslinger said this a very long time ago mm-hmm. in her APA address. Had a Sally great Haslinger. Mm-hmm. Sally Haslinger. Uh, in her 2013 APA presidential address, where she says, the problem isn't slot, it's mother. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and her, mm-hmm. her point there was, mother carries a whole bunch of ideology right, too. Right, 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 right. Like right. this idea that you that language is pure, you know, that th- that this liberal idea that mm-hmm. language is a pure neutral mechanism yeah, yeah. Uh, for conveying information yeah. is completely false. Yeah. Uh, and so insofar as the literature on slurs by philosophers mm-hmm some discovery mm-hmm. that uh, that words have a history mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's kind of a reductio of how we've been thinking yeah. of language yeah it's funny isn't it because in analytic philosophy of language typically uh the example sentences uh that are invoked uh have the air of neutrality or who could who could read any ideology into this like the cat is on the mat or snow is white or these others and um these are supposed to give you the impression of at least uh, a a certain domain of propositions that philosophy of language should focus on foremostly that are non-ideological Right. So you have got exactly mm. our book. We have we have a chapter <laughs> called the Standard Model, uh-huh. uh, where we say where uh, where we talk about idealizations that mm-hmm. are meant to be uh, idealizations in the sense of Charles Milton's paper, ideal as model, mm-hmm. um, where where he says you know the idealizations in political philosophy are supposed to filter things out, so we just focus on well ordered societies to test our intuitions, mm-hmm. and we say something similar has happened in philosophy of language where we're filtering out political speech. Mm-hmm. We're filtering out like Cleon's speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, not, mm-hmm. That's not really what we do. Explain what's going on there. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Uh, so uh, <laughs> my Delinean debate. And so, so, you know, uh, we're, we're filtering out the very aspects of language that make language so powerful mm-hmm. and so studied and such a, and, and such a, such a, stu- means of attention. And, mm-hmm. and there's various excuses for this. There's, mm-hmm. well, we don't have a model for that. We'll start with the easy case and then yeah. go to the more difficult cases. But it's the same thing as in Mills's criticism of political philosophy. Mm-hmm. That's why our book is subtitled uh, An Essay in Non-Ideal right. uh, 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 Philosophy, uh, in a Non-Ideal Theory. It's the same thing where Mills says, oh, you say you're going to get around to propaganda and ideology, but you never do. Right, <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, so, so you say you're going to get around to rhetoric. You say you're going to get around to, uh, and then, and and our and our the idea behind David and my book and our new novel sort of theory mm-hmm. is like we don't even understand the simple parts of language right. unless we see that it's embedded in this larger thing. Right. Description is something we. So it's very Austinian. Mm-hmm. Description is something we do. Uh, you know, uh, uh, as well as insulting, offending. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, slurs hurt because one part of that story uh, is one part of the story is because they connect to a 
hurtful ideology. Mm-hmm. Like the N word is connected mm-hmm. to a hurtful ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you black can be offensive, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not like the N word because the N word is connected very specifically to an ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I mean, I I find when I get anti-Semitic emails, mm-hmm. it's much worse than mm-hmm. when I get just you're dumb. It's weird, even though I try not to be affected by it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but there there's no base. Uh, non-ideological right. speech. Right, right. Uh, and the second reason slurs hurt is because you're slurring something. Mm. <laughs> you're insulting. <laughs> you're doing something. Mm. It's a, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's language that does something. Yeah, it's yeah. language that does something. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, just to fill listeners in, the idea of non-ideal theory, as it's invoked by Charles Mills, is in the context of political philosophy and targeting specifically the ideal theory of someone like John Rawls. But it's curious to see you taking the baton and trying to in, uh, develop a non-ideal theory for uh, the philosophy of language, given that one would think philosophers of language have taken pragmatics seriously and other dimensions of the analysis of language that place it in the world. And so it's surprising then to see what a huge blind spot still remained. Um, yeah. And, and I should say it's, it's as Alice Crary, when I gave the very first paper on this project in 2016 at the New School, uh, uh, eviscerated me for saying, you know, you're saying that Austin didn't exist. You know, right. you're saying that Cabal didn't exist. So there is what makes philosophy a philosophy. In analytic philosophy of language, we do have a non-ideal tradition. Mm. It is the Wittgenstein, the later Wittgenstein, Austin. <clears throat> it's feminist philosophers of language, mm-hmm. the Brandom. Mm-hmm. Bob Brandom's students like Quill Kukla and Mark Lance have have been doing this kind of work mm-hmm. um, within a broadly Wittgensteinian framework. So you have these you have these Ray Langton obviously has been mm-hmm. taking off from Austin. So mm-hmm. so our 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 work is rests on those figures, mm-hmm. um, rests on figures who have been like in Mark Lance and and uh, and Quill Kukla's book. Uh, low and yo, they're making mm-hmm. uh, they're making the point just by the title mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of language is expressive, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like you know. So so like one of the reasons people take slurs to be surprising is they have expressive meaning. Mm-hmm. But if you look in like the Brandom tradition and philosophy of language, mm-hmm. the Lance book is particularly good. Um, they're they're very clear that. At the base, if you start just by thinking of language as things we do, mm-hmm. you know, then you're not going to think of informational and descriptive as Austinian point, mm-hmm. um, John Allison's point, mm-hmm. uh, that description is just another thing we do. So mm-hmm. what you had with philosophy, my tradition in philosophy of language is you had people say, let's take the neutral informative thing as the model. Mm-hmm. Let's build our tools from that. Mm-hmm. And then later on, we'll get to the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's say the core is the informational part, the mm-hmm. pure informational part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have this tradition in philosophy of language that 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 is obviously being channeled. It's most influential tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it influences critical race theory. It influences but figures like Butler. Um, mm-hmm. That is not ideal at its mm-hmm. core. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. It's almost as if uh, I let, see if you agree with this. 
once you've accepted uh, the the greater utility of this non-ideal approach, then these kinds of proposition that uh, earlier analytic philosophy of language took as the hard cases and bracketed saying, let's deal with the easy stuff first. In fact, these hard cases are more representative, are more kind of uh, illuminating about how language actually works across the board, right? Analyzing analyzing a sentence with a slur in it can uh, tell you how the cat is on the mat actually works better. Uh, I've had to take the sentence, slurs are the, if we are right, slurs are the paradigm case of language (laughs) out of our manuscript because David was well, not quite true because they have particular histories that injure and offend in the worst cases. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, so absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Like, if we didn't start with the cat is on the map, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have thought that there was this neutral, obje- uh, informational part of language from which we should build our tools and mm-hmm. resources. If we started with slurs, we'd realize that the basic case is expressive meaning. Mm-hmm. Like, like waving, saying hello, mm-hmm. lo and yo, in Mark Lance and Quill Kukla's vocabulary. That's why they titled their book this mm-hmm. way. Every, almost every word, we can argue about the functional words like of and, mm-hmm. uh, and to and for and uh, the truth, the, the truth con- conditional, con- the truth, the truth, val- the uh, truth functional connectives like and, mm-hmm. and or. Um, maybe they don't have expressive meanings, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but we argue in our book that even dog, even mm-hmm. in the basic case, there are expressive mm-hmm. meanings. Like dog is a low register mm-hmm. word. Most idioms involving dogs are negative. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, so it's a doggy dog mm-hmm. world. Uh, like uh, a, a dog, dog is diff- differs from canine mm-hmm. in being a, a word that, you know, the speaker is representing themselves mm-hmm. as being in a casual conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all this affect-laden, mm-hmm. non-informational, social identity-identifying properties of the very paradigm word that yeah. Frege used yeah. to contrast with the slur curve. Right, right, right. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, in fact, was, yeah, I forget where exactly, but trying to make the case to someone that the cat is on the mat, for example, implies a certain understanding of a member of the domestic unit uh, sitting on uh, an, uh, an artifact that implies that people want to keep dirt off their floors, which is an ideological commitment, and, uh, I, and so on. Um, and, that's, that, that's like... Exactly our book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly That's so interesting. Is, 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 so, so when, when you're asking about slurs, mm-hmm. what we really need to talk about is, is the ideologies behind them. Mm-hmm. Slurs, mm-hmm. Differ from do- slurs differ from the words that are... So, so a slur is a, uh, a, a name, a, des- a description of a group that describes it, in an, it, that connects that group to a particular ideology. So the N word connects uh, black Americans mm-hmm. to unusually or black people generally mm-hmm. to an ideology of racial uh, domination, white racial domination, mm-hmm. uh, uh, essentializing them under various things. Fat cat connects rich people to mm-hmm. an ideology to mm-hmm. an ideology that is largely correct, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, but also represents them negatively. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, so these these slurs. So what slurs do is they make it that ideal. When you use a slur, 
mm-hmm. you make it, you normalize that ideology, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. make that mm-hmm. ideology acceptable. And mm-hmm. a speech, pra- and an ideology is a set of practices. It's not just speech practices, it's a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. The N word is particularly horrible because of its connection to violence, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, uh, Think of like deeply dangerous, deeply derogatory terms. And Lynn, Tur- philosopher Lynn Terrell says mm-hmm, these sure. aren't flirt calling people snakes and cockroaches. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, so, um, so uh, th- th- these terms function differently than mm-hmm, slurs. Mm-hmm. Um, they do something really bad, mm-hmm. but they connect you to these practices. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do? Like Lynn Terrell's analysis. Of uh, of the Rwandan Holocaust, the propaganda mm-hmm. of the Rwandan Holocaust, mm-hmm. in her famous 2012 paper mm-hmm. on genocidal speech, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, uh, genocidal speech uh, games. I'm I'm forgetting exactly. Right, the right. Name. Genocidal uh, language games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Genocidal language games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she connects. Uh, she says when you call someone a snake, when you say mm. Tutsis are snakes, mm. then you're connecting them to the practice of killing dangerous snakes in Rwanda, mm-hmm. which is something that makes you a man. Like mm-hmm. a boy becomes a man when he's allowed to kill a dangerous snake mm-hmm. with a machete. Mm-hmm. Um, so by calling Tutsis snakes, you're connecting, you're, you're saying, treat them as you would snakes. Mm-hmm. Namely, it will make you a man to kill them with a machete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and uh, when you call people, whole groups rapists, like in the Rohingya, mm-hmm. The, the, the Rohingya ethnic cleansing slash mm-hmm, genocide mm-hmm. in Myanmar, um, you're saying treat them as you would rapists mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, with brutality. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and slurs do that. They're, the, you know, you know, rapists, we can talk. I mean, it has the effect. You're mm-hmm. slurring a group by saying, you know, they're rapists. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're slurring when you call people snakes, mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. not a slur. Mm-hmm. A slur is a constitutive part of a speech practice mm-hmm. that is in this wider ideology that is set into a long social history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to understand what a slur does, you need to understand, you need to do some history. You need mm-hmm. to do some sociology. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to, to understand why Yankee is, doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You need And the N-word hurts. Uh, you need to understand you know, it's not linguistics, it's mm-hmm. history. This, this, this might be returning to the question of taboos that you want to keep distinct, but I was, I've been thinking about the N-word in particular because it is the one word in any language that I find I cannot contain within quotation marks, right? right. And, you know, this is sometimes where people try to point out that real profanity is such that you that the use mentioned distinction no longer applies that it bleeds out of the quotation marks you try to put it in there's only one word that i find i simply don't have quotation marks powerful enough to contain but that was not always the case that's been the case for maybe 10 or 15 years i can remember a time when i was confident that quotation marks were powerful enough and what has changed in me as a language user and as a master of the English language, what has changed in me in those 10 or 15 years is perhaps just a greater sensitivity to this history that you've invoked. Um, but uh, 
I don't think it's mostly in me. I think it's in the actual uh, sociolinguistic reality I inhabit. The, yeah, no, that's right. It's it's a change that we've lived through in our mm-hmm. lifetime. Mm-hmm. When um, when uh, I mean, I think I think that um, you know, you 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 look at the '90s debates, and they weren't about this at all. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, the the. Um, you know, the, uh, people use the words, you know, even in the cr- critical race theory literature, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. use the words. And, and so, um, so uh, Butler certainly does an excitable mm-hmm. speech. They mention them. They mention mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. It's a better way um, to put it. <laughs> yeah, they mention them. They don't use them. Sorry. They mention <laughs> them. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, but, you know, that's something to be explained. And, uh, you know, uh, as a theoretician, as a descriptive theoretician, which I am in the case of language, I'm not doing activism when I'm, when I'm describing language. It's mm. just something. So to me, it's a sociolinguistic thing that needs to be explained. So in our view, words are symbols. I mean, in our view, words are symbols. Mm-hmm, <laughs> they mm-hmm. belong to practices. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They're one kind of symbol. There are other kinds of symbols. Mm-hmm. Think about quoting a swastika. Mm. Quoting a swastika you know, is a silly thing to do. Uh, think of the images of, um, uh, think of images of lynchings, Mm-hmm. Images of the Holocaust. Um, these are images we're careful with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, the N word is an image like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and and I don't think that that I think that Butler's right that that you sometimes need those images for teaching purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you need to be careful with them. Mm-hmm. Um, just as you need to be, I've stopped posting. I don't know about you, but I don't post any videos anymore of mm-hmm. uh, black Americans being murdered or, or you know, because <laughs> there's. Yeah. No need. And, there, and there's also a fine line between um, between a kind of voyeurism and consciousness exactly. raising. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so once you see words as symbols. Mm hmm then none of this becomes very mysterious at all. Mm-hmm. We're careful with symbols. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd be, um, if, you know, if you put a swastika on your blackboard, mm. you know, I guarantee you there'd be some consternation, mm-hmm. even though, you know, you could make a point of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be a teaching moment in the same way that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that uh, but we're, we're careful about symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the N-word has become a symbol of an ideology in much the way that a swastika is a symbol of an mm-hmm, ideology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's, uh, I think, again, it's interesting to note that just within our lifetimes, uh, the swastika as well in the 1970s was taken up as a symbol by outlaw bikers, by punks, and trying to move it up a level. Uh, maybe they... Maybe they were unsuccessful. Maybe it was a bad idea to begin with, but there was at least some attempt to take this from, you know, its uh, 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 position atop the Reichstag and turn it into something, uh, something from below, right? Right. Um, And that's what Butler is arguing. Butler's arguing that that you know the. It's really interesting because she doesn't adopt liberal assumptions in her Mm -hmm. argument. And mm-hmm. she gets the liberal, uh, yeah. you know, she's not thinking of speech as information, but as mm-hmm. she's thinking of essentially contested a power relation. Right. So she said, you know, that power, rela- you know, the only way to defeat the power of slurs 
is to defeat them by some sort of social movement from below that right. reappropriates them and right. gives them novel social meaning. I assume she's deeply affected by the reappropriation of queer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, that book came out in 1997, which is, yeah, yeah. I, I, I suspect that the book is itself part of the reappropriation, right? Right. Um, but she says at some point, I was, I was struck uh, by the line that offensive speech runs the risk of, as she puts it, inaugurating a subject in speech. And I'm not quite sure I understand what she means, but the idea is that if you try to harm somebody with a slur, it might hit, you might harm them, but you might also be inadvertently um, kind of elevating them as a worthy subject relative to you who can then uh, be in a position of um, less subjugation. Is that, am I understanding that line correctly? I don't know. I'd have to look back at that line. It didn't, uh, I mean, it's certainly the case that for Butler, because she said, when everyone's like, oh, Butler thinks everybody is, 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 uh, you know, that everything's a social construct. Mm. Well, I don't care about that because some things are social constructs. Mm. And I think it's very difficult to talk about language, to theorize about communication without the notion of a social identity. Yeah. And, and, you know, so she's talking about social identities mm-hmm. and social identities can be constructed, affected. You know, you can carve a social identity for a member, for group members by language. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not controversial. Mm-hmm. You can't understand what we're doing with language mm-hmm. unless you see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you don't need to say all all reality is linguistic or whatever, mm-hmm. but you can see that, you know, to not have social identities robs you of seeing what we're doing with language mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. we're doing with language we're trying to interpolate people <laughs> into mm-hmm. uh uh to to use that old althusserian terminology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so butler then you see her as having made some very important discoveries that philosophy of language has been slow to take up well i think it's it's not really butler it's more like in the 90s, there's mm-hmm. a very rich discussion. Um, mm-hmm. The rich discussion surrounds topics that I'm not, you know, give it like pornography mm-hmm. that that I don't, I don't, I, I haven't written on that topic. Mm-hmm. I, I understand from what I understand from feminists, what is considered harmful about pornography is wildly changed. Like Nancy Bauer's book, mm-hmm. you know, we, we now confront a a whole student population who's brought up on goat porn and they're the most woke generation ever. So the claims about pornography don't seem to have worked. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, what I, what I like about the critical race theory words that wound book mm-hmm. and a uh, collection of essays and Butler's excitable speech was response to Ray Langton right, to, right, uh, right. on pornography to that is that it's just such a rich discussion informed by where they mm-hmm. presuppose all the insights that that uh, all about language that should be presupposed. Words of a history, <laughs> you know, uh, we do things with words. There's actions. We we, uh, we can we can create our social world by talking and slot people into mm-hmm. uh, you know social identities. Um, uh, the the harm in speech. Uh, has to do with background ideologies. We can, I don't know who I agree with. I don't have a normative stance on these issues. Um, 
you know, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with Butler's critiques of critical race theory, of, of the words that wound volume, not critical mm-hmm. race theory, but just that mm-hmm. volume, namely mm-hmm. this weird belief in the law, uh, like that, that you can legis- if you legislate these things, that the law is some sort mm-hmm. of neutral court. <laughs> like, like you know, mm-hmm. Butler Butler says, look at what they decide is pornography. They decide they decide uh, mm-hmm. Robert Maplethorpe is pornography. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what's going to happen. So all of that is compelling to mm-hmm. me on the normative questions. But when I'm on this project, what I'm struck with mm-hmm. when I look outside philosophy uh, to mm-hmm. the words that wound the essays by Delgado, mm-hmm. by Mari Matsuda. Uh, uh, is how uh, and Butler's response is just how rich they are as investigations of language, and how how they're not this they don't at all start from the the starting point that language is like something has as a core some neutral informational mm-hmm. vocabulary. It's what mm-hmm, does language mm-hmm. do? Um, you know the words that wound. You know Charles Lawrence's uh, uh, mm-hmm. piece on speech on campus words uh, as well in the words that wound volume, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. they say they, you know, they, they mm-hmm. show how mm-hmm. they, they rightly point out you're harming people. You're doing something. And Butler's saying, well, you could do something back to change the harm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, so, um, so I just think, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's, um, and, and Langton's contributions. I mean, I think Langton's contributions, what Langton, what Ray Langton did was really She's the first to bring to bear the tools of philosophy of language. Uh, I mean, McKinnon, of course, uh, uh, but but uh, but mm-hmm. Langton brings the David Lewis framework. She says we need to be talking right. about presupposition, which I think she's absolutely right about Langton mm-hmm. and West. And so, so that gives us like mm-hmm. a rich way of uh, it. Mm-hmm. You know, my goal mm-hmm. is to have. Mm-hmm analytic philosophy be in conversation with the rest of the humanities and social sciences and history. Because frankly, mm-hmm. what I've discovered writing this book is everyone mm-hmm. has always been talking about mm-hmm. uh, rhetoric, frameworks, <laughs> like uh, social groups, <laughs> you know, ideologies. And, and analytic philosophy has sort of not been in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and so we need, and we have tools that I think can help. Maybe they Maybe they won't mm-hmm, be able mm-hmm. to help. Maybe there won't be anything added to the history of a practice mm-hmm. uh, by by saying it's presupposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but but we're betting mm-hmm. that you know, and this is really stepping on the shoulders of Lang- mm-hmm, Langton mm-hmm. here, um, and West, and and Mary Kate McGowan, other theorists who've done this. Um, we're hoping that mm-hmm. that the analytic tools and resources will help, mm-hmm, but they have mm-hmm. to be stripped from. These assumptions that the cat is on the mat is not does not also bring with it mm-hmm. a rich set of ideological presuppositions. Can mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, do you have any hope for the demonstrable utility of philosophy of language for resolving issues <laughs> in? public debate, uh, notably the recent uh, debate, uh, the pushback about critical race theory? Uh, so I, I think the words that wound volume is mm-hmm. a very particular intervention by critical mm-hmm. race. It's different from, mm-hmm. say, Derek Bell's uh, mm-hmm. uh, work, which is, mm-hmm. when it, I think, more what's relevant for, uh, for, um, for, I mean, I think, I think critical for, for the current debate. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the current debate is all about stopping 
stopping the teaching of our history. That's mm-hmm. what it's really about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it links to the sort of Derek Bell's uh, aspect of critical race theory uh, and and Kimberly Crenshaw, um, mm-hmm. where they're they're saying our institutions have had this racist past, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. so we clean the we 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 erase explicit racists from the institutions, but mm-hmm. we don't change how the institutions function. Mm-hmm. And if you don't change how the institutions function, what a surprise that they keep on functioning in a racist way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, they mm-hmm. keep on preserving. Uh, you know. Um, and, you know, there are other, uh, so that's one. So the, if you erase the history of our racist past, well, then you look at our, you, you, you don't know that, you know, uh, restricting votes has a racist mm-hmm. past. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you don't know that constantly dealing with, w- with crime, crime rise, rises in crime by mm-hmm. militarized police <laughs> mm-hmm. is a racist, his practice of policing that dates right. back to the 1890s. Now I'm starting to see the the very close connection in in your project between slurs and dog whistling, right? Um, um, and also the idea that you've defended before and that I've had my doubts about, but now I'm starting to see where it's coming from, the idea of unconscious dog whistling, right? If you don't know the history behind a term, then you can be contributing to the perpetuation of that history but still, from your own point of view, in a perfectly innocent way. Absolutely. Right? So there's mm. there's two, I mean, J- Jennifer Saul, t- so I want to make a distinction between two different um, things here with dog whistles. One, so Jennifer Saul talks about covert dog whistles, where people don't consciously self-identify as racist, but they have a background set of biases. And mm-hmm. dog whistles really work there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really very, I mean, it's just incredible how the word welfare work, works mm-hmm. in the American context uh, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. get a negative reaction when you describe things as welfare. But even if you don't have this unconscious set of biases, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. even if you're completely innocent, and this is something that you find in the words that wound book examples mm-hmm. like this, even if you have no understanding, if you use the word, we live in a society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, other people will understand that word yeah. in a certain way. So, uh, so you know, the 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 focus of our work is on this. You know, trying to get out of the individualistic, mentalistic thought thought way of think looking at mm-hmm. communication and thinking about language as mm-hmm. having a history, uh, being a set of social practice, being embedded mm-hmm. in a practice. So, if a kid uses a, uh, a, uh, a, a a homophobic slur without understanding, he's still using a word that has that mm-hmm. long practice, mm-hmm. long history. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. a fact. Um, you know, and, and let's not look at people's heads mm-hmm. or intentions because that's what... Um, I, I've had I've had this experience recently of trying to explain to French people why in the American political context uh, uh, defending states' rights is so charged, and that's such a complicated chain of of American history that means that when we hear people talking about what, from a European point of view, well, you know, a federalist system is good, so the states should have rights. What's the problem? Um, 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 and exactly. indeed, indeed, even if you didn't know that, it would still be a problem. 
what I hope uh, now we're getting to what I think is the biggest worry for my project, with mm-hmm. David Beaver, mm-hmm. um, which is because, because what, what your point demonstrates is so much of understanding language is reading history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to understand why words have the communicative force they do. You need to know so much about local history, mm-hmm. about the the practices and history surrounding that expression those expressions. So mm-hmm. one might say, what is the extra fancy philosophy of language to it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, 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 right. Isn't it all going to be a history lesson? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you have a good answer um, for that? No, uh, I, I hope, well, I, I hope, um, I, I hope what we're doing is we're embedding the sort of orthodox philosophy of language mm-hmm. into this wider framework. Mm-hmm. And we hope that uh, we hope that it explains certain things. Why it's so difficult to uh, to w- like it? You're like the main point mm-hmm. of a debate is not actually what's going on mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. often. Right. Uh, so you get that because it's presupposition. It's it's the background stuff. Yeah. It'll it'll help. Uh, it help, helps us see why normalizing certain ways of talking mm-hmm. leads to other kinds of behavior. Right. Right. Um, right. So uh, because you're presupposing a whole ideology. Right, right, right. You've invoked a few times this the false ideal or the false expectation of neutrality in language. I always hate like when I'm in an airport or on an airplane and they start saying uh, they start referring to the airplane as an aircraft and to your luggage in the overhead bin, they refer to it as items. And there's this aspiration towards the totally neutral, uncharged terms. But then you see that same kind of false neutrality where there's clearly an operation of power going on, like when a police officer tells you to step away from the vehicle, right? right. Why are they exactly. saying vehicle right now? Um, they, they're pretending this is yeah. just neutral descriptive language, whereas you're thinking, uh-oh, this guy's call- calling my car a vehicle. I'm in trouble, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's a brilliant example, Justin. Step away from the vehicle. The ideological work that's done here, because the language, the technocratic language mm-hmm. is so often a way to demonstrate power. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not neutral. It's uh, technocratic language is, is very often a way to uh, to demonstrate power. And that's why you have that that recognition is very clearly there in black feminism and say mm-hmm. Patricia Hill Collins. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're always like, look, you know, that that's the Patricia Hill Collins to Christy Dotson mm-hmm, epistemological mm-hmm. move of saying privileging just this vocabulary mm-hmm. as the only possible epistemic vocabulary, say the language of statistics is mm-hmm. very often a way to flex, mm-hmm. <laughs> to flex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all about the flexing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But then de- it's deniable flexing, isn't it? It's deniable flexing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, it's, it, it's deniable flexing. Exactly. <laughs> and that's where, and so, so dog whistle too, you know, so, so there's all, there's lots of this stuff about plausible deniability. That's where, mm-hmm. you know, a slur is powerful an explicit slur because there's no deniability. Mm-hmm. So you're, 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 when you use a slur, you're rejecting the need for deniability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's a linguistic move. You're explicitly rejecting the need for deniability. Right. So, uh, 
So um, Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is a remarkable uh, little, in her speech to Congress, she's saying, you know, when she was called a, 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 a sexist slur, mm-hmm. she said, she said, if you allow people to do that in open, you know, openly, you're saying it's okay for mm-hmm. people to do that. Mm-hmm. This is this is Kate, Mary Kate McGowan calls these. Uh, she says oppressive speech gives permissibility. Mm-hmm. So, but the slur is particularly you're saying I don't need deniability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no deniability here at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with uh, with code words, with the way technocratic language works, which is, um, I mean, I should just fess up. My father's 19th only book, his 1978 book. Uh, mm-hmm. The technological conscience, survival, yes. and dignity, the age of expertise mm-hmm. is entirely about this point. Mm-hmm. How technocratic language is in fact anti-democratic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so because it's it's a flag, it's a power flex, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's meant to make people feel inadequate. Yeah, I've been meaning to have a look at that. Manfred Stanley, is that right? Yeah, yeah, right. I was a bit flustered early on when. I set out from the presumption of the unity of the questions of taboos on the one hand and slurs on the other. We can at least say that slurs are often tabooed. We can say many slurs are taboo. Right, right. Or that the taboo terms, the core, the core profanities in a language are often slurs. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think, well, the profanity's damn isn't right, a slur. Right, 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 right. Uh, so, uh, so d- damn was, uh, my friend Tim Snyder doesn't allow his kids to curse, by which he means the one word they're not allowed to say is damn. <laughs> right, because that's, that's an oath, it's a, or it's a malediction, right? Which is, I, which really does at least pretend to have this magical conjurational power in language, right? <laughs> um, that's so interesting. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, forbidden words, you know, in French, uh, very common profanity is putain, um, so whore, um, which right, is right. both a slur and a taboo. You shouldn't say it. And it's also right. transmitting a whole ideological background view of sex right. work and, and, and women and so on, right? And that's the example I w- that came most easily to mind when I was thinking of the two issues as the same, right? Mm. Um, right, right. So people are here, I mean, you always have the uh, Lavelle Anderson and er- Ernie Lepore published mm-hmm. a book, uh, published a paper in News, mm-hmm. uh, arguing that something that I'm sympathetic with, that that there's nothing really linguistically special about mm-hmm. slurs. So I'm sympathetic mm-hmm. with that part. Um, all words are connected to ideologies. Mm-hmm. You need to explain something else with with um, it's uh, it's because, yeah, uh, as, as I've mm-hmm. said, it's because they're only part of this ideology. So there's no deniability. There's no. Uh, so, uh, but they argue that slurs are just taboo. Mm-hmm. They're just on a list of taboos. Mm-hmm. And that's just wrong because there are many taboo. That they just say slur and taboo are the right. same thing. Uh, but that's wrong because uh, denazification. Right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, to generally, like in Brazil, there was a, there's a reverse thing. So Butler talks about, you know, a social movement to make words acceptable mm-hmm. again in brazil after the military dictatorship ended it was very it was quite impermissible to go around calling your opponents mm-hmm. marxist mm-hmm. um that was like a death mm-hmm. sentence during the military dictatorship. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in around 2013, 2014, suddenly everybody started using these politicians uh, all at once, started calling their opponents Marxists mm -hmm. and detabooed mm -hmm. that. And suddenly, you know, and then, of course, because of the residence with the military dictatorship, mm -hmm. Bolsonaro is like, OK, why not a military dictatorship? Mm -hmm. You know, we're facing Marxists. We know when you face Marxists, it's a military dictatorship you need to do. Mm -hmm. It's that whole. Um, so, yeah, taboo, taboos come and go mm -hmm. and they, they come and go with an entire structure. Mm -hmm. In Brazil's case, when you bring back calling your political opponents Marxists mm -hmm. and raising panic about Marxism, then it's going to bring back. We need a military. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fascinating. You know, um, we're uh, coming uh, towards the end. We've already been talking uh, quite a while. And I think. I'm inclined to call this particular match as an agreement, right? I don't think we disagree on anything. I absolutely agree with you that uh, slurs are not a special category of, uh, of language. And your definition, if I have it right, that a slur is a bit of language that harms or that can harm through the ideological commitments that it 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 reveals sounds to me perfectly um perfectly viable as a as a definition <laughs> um i mean you know we we don't need a a a rigorous definition in order to establish agreement but it sounds sounds like agreement <laughs> um um I, 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 but I still have, I mean, I just maybe like one, one final question for you about, about your project as a whole. Um, and this also extends back to your books on propaganda and on fascism. What good is philosophy? Um, are, I, 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 and I think of, um, I think of the work of a number of uh, people who have dual careers as engagés and also as theorists. If you think of Noam Chomsky as the most obvious example, he's someone who will just say, look, I have my political commitments and I have my, my theoretical work and they don't have to, they don't have to uh, run together. Um, you seem to want them to come together, but are still uncertain as to what the, what the proportions are going to be between the two, and maybe also as to whether it's even possible. So, you know, uh, uh, it's hard. Great question. Great. I mean, I struggle about this. I don't try to think about it that often. I just try to think about mm. what I think about. Um, and so um, mm -hmm. what's happened with me, because I am a philosopher, I've been doing philosopher of language and epistemologist, uh, because I've become a social and political philosopher, is I, I, I've switched from disciplinary thinking to problem-based thinking. I don't worry mm -hmm. about what discipline I'm in. I just worry about the issues, propaganda, ideology, mm -hmm. fascism, authoritarianism, uh, uh, what kind of ideologies make up these constructs. Um, and I am doing often quite traditional philosophy and trying to define propaganda, mm -hmm. trying to 
uh, trying to look at these concepts. You know, I used to think philosophy was the study of truth, beauty, goodness, knowledge. Now I think it's the study also of injustice, uh, evil, <laughs> willful ignorance. You know, that that is also philosophy and has always been. Um, so, uh, so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I think of myself as as doing philosophy, but I also have a public role. I spend a lot of time in 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 a public role. Um, and for mm -hmm. me, I need, uh, these are all links just because I'm thinking all the time. So I need mm -hmm, to think mm -hmm. when I go on MSNBC or CNN, uh, or NPR to talk about things, I, you know, there's a heavy weight, uh, of like, you know, I have to know my stuff. I have to be speaking. So, mm -hmm. so I, in my, in my academic work, I'm working things out. Mm -hmm. I'm working out the concepts. Mm -hmm. And often I'm going in the other direction. I'm going, hey, I've discovered this mm -hmm. thing by thinking about public stuff, by thinking about political interventions, and it's philosophically really important. And so I go in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I, mean, I mm -hmm. wouldn't recommend anyone who's not a professional philosopher or linguist reading David Beaver at my book. <laughs> but but, uh, mm -hmm. but, but I, maybe we'll write a trade book or something from it. But right. but it's right. more like you know uh, wow by I mean Dotson says in her early work Christy Dotson that that you know there's this assumption that you can't learn anything from actual instances of injustice you can't learn anything philosophical mm -hmm, but actually mm -hmm. actually in, actual instances of injustice are, can be really philosophically puzzling <laughs> and so, uh, right so you know uh, so this this uh, you know this this separation uh, is for me not 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 something that you know I, I i you know i'm interested in certain topics and and so you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. i'm incapable of not doing the academics of the topics i'm interested in you know when i wrote my mm -hmm, fascism mm -hmm, book mm -hmm, i spent mm -hmm. years researching the history of fascism i had a great um committee here with tim snyder <laughs> and uh mm -hmm. and marcy shore and others and uh, uh mm -hmm. helping me uh, but you know, same here. Like I'm, I'm, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I've been working on this book for six years. It's a book in philosophy of language. It's my core area, core field. Um, but it's entirely mixed in with the things I'm thinking about and, uh, the discussions mm -hmm. that we, ha that I'm, that I have in the public sphere, uh, like the fact that, that, mm -hmm. you know, critical race theory I've been reading as part of my work on ideology and propaganda, but the words that mm -hmm. we'd also mm -hmm. has this long history in philosophy of language. And so, uh, so, mm -hmm, so for mm -hmm, me, it's, mm -hmm. it, it's just hard for me to compartmentalize and I'm taught, right. asked to speak about things in the public sphere. I feel like my courses have to be about them. Um, mm -hmm, right, my courses right. have to be about things that, uh, if I'm going to write, when you write an article quickly, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as you have to do when there's breaking news and mm -hmm. you feel like an intervention is needed, um, mm -hmm. You, you, uh, you, uh, you know, sometimes you make errors. Sometimes, uh, you know, you make terrible errors, uh, but, uh, but it helps better to just be teaching this material. Right. Right. So, right. Right. So that's how I more, more think of, think of it. And what mm -hmm. I've discovered is that there's a lot of philosophical richness in reality. <laughs> right, right, right. That's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Listen, uh, thanks so much, Jason, for joining me here. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, oh, great, Justin. I'm an enormous admirer of your work. Thanks so much. This has been What is X uh, with guest Jason Stanley talking to me about slurs. I'm Justin.
Justin E.A. Smith, and uh, 